Have you ever noticed when you're maybe walking through somewhere that has something like a spring meadow, when everything seems to be teeming with all kinds of new life, that amidst it all, there was actually a lot of death going on, like a frog eating an insect or that mushrooms next to the meadow were growing out of a decaying log. And then all of those nutrients were dissolving into the soil, which then later was creating this lush grass out of the meadow. Like somehow all of this new life was completely dependent on all of the death happening within it. Because my name's Brandy, and I, I want to welcome you to This Plus That. This is a show about connecting the seemingly unconnectable and why it matters. And we're about to get existential and really kind of poetic here. <laughs> because today, I talk with Dr. Andreas Weber about the intersections of love plus death. He believes that love and death are tied together at the umbilical, two sides of the creativity of life. And in this conversation, we explore what it means for death to become real in our own bodies, why we're in a century-long struggle to ignore death, and how this ignorance robs us of a deep, meaningful existence filled with the love that lies behind it all. Dr. Weber is a Berlin-based book and magazine writer and independent scholar. He has degrees in marine biology and cultural studies, having collaborated with theoretical biologist Francisco Varela in Paris. Andreas's work focuses on a reevaluation of our understanding of the living. He proposes to understand organisms as subjects and hence the biosphere as a meaning-creating and poetic reality. Accordingly, he holds that an economy inspired by nature should not be designed as a mechanistic optimization machine, but rather as an ecosystem which transforms mutual sharing of matter and energy in a deepened meaning. He's contributed extensively to developing the concept of enlivenment in recent years, notably through his essay, Enlivenment Towards a Fundamental Shift in the Concepts of Nature, Culture, and Politics, and many, many other places you can read about in his official bio in the show notes of this episode. I have followed his work for around five years now. So this is a conversation that meant a lot to me. It's something I never would have dreamed actually happening. Like one of those things where you read and incorporate someone's texts into your life as authors. And they've just truly shaped who you've been over the last few years. And then all of a sudden you have this excuse to talk to them. And so I think you'll find that this is an incredibly connected, meaningful conversation that we both have. And because we talked for two hours, I want you to know a little bit more about what we talk about. And uh, we start really by talking about how one of his books helped me fall back in love with the world a, uh, a handful of years ago. The first time we both remember death becoming real in our lives, not just conceptually, but somatically. How our world is in that century long struggle against death, the physical experience of aliveness, what biology has to say about purpose, how you can just be how you can't just be concerned with your own aliveness at the expense of others in your community, what fermentation, my obsession, and composting have to do with community and healthy ecosystems, how Andreas is trying to make himself more edible, how he's leaning further into animistic thinking, the challenge of uh, institutionalizing these ideas at scale, and how we might quote unquote organize aliveness, and how he practices love in his life practically. 
a few notes before we get going. Fecundity is something that he mentioned, and I wanted to just define that in case you don't know that word. And it's the ability to produce an abundance of offspring or new growth or the ability to produce many new ideas. And just like in my conversation with David, David Epstein, we talk about generalists, which are folks who tend to do many things and not just specialize in one thing. Uh, and I think it's worth sticking around for this whole conversation because I, at some point force him to tell me about what he believes is behind all of the aliveness behind the world. You know, is that God? Is it some, some sort of mystical energy? What is that? And what is, what does he have to say about that after all of this research and aliveness? And, there's also some Italians that show up in the background and a church bell and things like that, that I left in. Cause I don't, I think that makes it more uh, real and you can tell what's going on in our actual conversation. Uh, and there's just one little glitch in the internet about 20 minutes in. So you'll hear a pause there, but otherwise I'm going to stop rambling and let you get to this incredible conversation I had with Dr. Andreas Weber about the intersections of love plus death. starting off all of these conversations by quoting someone else who I think relates to your work. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, again, I mentioned, I was listening to another podcast interview of yours this morning in which I actually heard you say something to the effect of how in your work, you're actually, of course, drawing on a long lineage of thought, right? You're just continuing sort of a long conversation of what's already been happening and trying to pull together threads, common threads that you see happening, of course. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's part of how I do this. I, I like to start them with quotes from other people because I think it helps almost even in an audio recording that I'm literally creating connections between each of the conversations, right? And so I wanted to start with a Wendell Berry quote. Are you familiar with Wendell Berry? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. I would assume so, given, given what you yeah. talk about in the world. And Wendell Berry, of course, for those who don't know, is the American farmer, environmental activist, writer, poet, that sort of thing. So in his book, The Art of the Commonplace, which is just a collection of many of his essays, there's a part where he says, I'm not against technology so much as I am for community. When the choice is between the health of a community and technological innovation, I choose the health of the community. I would unhesi unhesitatingly destroy a machine before I would allow the machine to destroy my community. I believe that the community, in the fullest sense, a place and all its creatures, is the smallest unit of health, and that to speak of the health of an isolated individual is a contradiction in terms. And he goes on about a paragraph later and says, what I'm arguing against here is not complexity or mystery, but dualism. I would like to purge my own mind and language of such terms as spiritual, physical, metaphysical, and transcendental, all of which imply that the creation is divided into levels that can be readily peeled apart and judged by human beings. I believe that the creation is of one continuous fabric comprehending simultaneously what we mean by spirit and what we mean by matter. So, Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to write it, to note it down all, but it, you need to send it to me. I, Absolutely. I, 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 did, I, don't, I don't remember this um, particularly, but it's brilliant. Yeah. 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 I felt like that was a perfect place to start, not the least of which is because the way that I came to your work is because I had been at the time, it was probably five, four or five years ago, 
I'd been working with a friend of mine in the Carbondale Valley, which is an old um, farming community valley in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. And she was putting together this project that was this symbiotic, you know, relationship between a restaurant, a hotel and uh, a farm that she was building all in one place mm. that would all feed each other appropriately. Mm. And she, of course, was, you know, of course, because if you know Wendell Berry's work, it just makes sense for someone who's into that sort of thing to know Wendell Berry. But she had introduced me to Wendell Berry and partly because she had been hearing me struggle with the idea of, of being a generalist when I didn't have a term for what a generalist was instead of a specialist. And Wendell Berry talks a lot about that. But when I read Art of the Commonplace, it was probably right before or right after the election in the U.S. of Donald Trump in 2016. And as someone who had been involved in a lot of uh, racial justice issues and community organizing and such, and also someone, of course, who I think around my age, which at the time was probably around 35, you know, everyone around me was starting to freak out. We were having all these conversations about climate collapse. And I had mm. friends who were considering, you know, like not having children because they were afraid mm. that, you know, what, what kind of world were they birthing someone into? And so there wasn't just a fear about climate. There was also, I think, this real fear of how we might die in a protest or, you know, like there was just a, a growing sense of our death is real. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was so, while I, t I think I tend to be someone who like appreciates death and what it means, I, I feel like that might have been the first time I really grappled with my own real death. And mm. when I read Wendell Berry, An Art of the Commonplace, it felt like it, it, it helped me realize that death is part of the system. Yeah. And right after that, you know, I, I had been really grappling with, as I was existing in these organizing communities and doing racial justice work, I found myself to be constantly angry. I was just angry all the time at the state of the world and the people in it and, and all the brokenness that I saw. And I felt mm. it in my body. And I, I felt a, this sense that it just wasn't sustainable for me. Mm. And I had no idea what to do because I knew that I cared about being involved in what was going on in the world, of course, but I, I had to take a real step back. And all I knew how to ask myself is, or to tell myself that my project was, was to learn how to fall back in love with the world. And right at that time, Seth, my friend who was creating that farm restaurant hotel situation, had heard from a reporter somewhere, I think near Aspen, near Carbondale, where she was doing the project, about Matter and Desire and Erotic Ecology, your book. Mm. And so Seth told me about that interesting yes yeah these these that's for me as an author that's interesting for me as an author who is not a who is not um, an, an american a native um, language american writer so it's interesting right. to to understand these these um, enigmatic and and brilliant and surprising ways where where these this this book is traveling yeah fantastic thanks right yeah its own little life right how it yeah. weaves yeah. Its, its little tendrils yeah. through all of our lives um, and this is a long personal story, but the end of it is really just that I think, you know, like I said, Wendell Berry gave me that sense that death is part of the system. And then when I read matter and desire, 
I think particularly there's a part, especially in thinking about climate collapse in that book, where you sort of talk about how on the clock of the world that we're, we're not at five till midnight, right? We're more at mm. like three, 3 p.m. And so we can't mm. just sort of, you know, nihilistically throw everything in the air and just be hedons and do whatever we want. We have to figure out what it is to engage at 3 p.m. And... Mm. And your response to that was so helpful for me and sort of going, not only is it love, you know, fall back in love with the world, but also love is an act of participation. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a feeling. Mm -hmm. And that even in imminent danger or collapse, if that's what's happening, the point is not to solve it. The point is to participate in what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really fitting because what I think a lot we're going to talk about today are the intersections of love and death. Mm -hmm. And that was for me, such a through line between Wendell Berry's work and then coming to read matter and desire where I fell back in love, even in the face of death. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a, thank you. It's a, it's a good place to start um, or to dwell. And, um, um, and, um, it's, it's very, uh, thinking around these terms is very um, prominent in my actual own thinking right at the moment. And, um, yeah, so let's do this. And, and I, and I mean, I, I really understand, um, I can really can relate to your feeling of death becoming real for you, like palpably real, not, not only, I mean, it can even, it can be somehow become conceptually real, but, death as a, as something which is awaiting you and which is awaiting every living being, but which is also awaiting me, like truly that's, that's really an, a visceral experience. So it's nothing you can um, do con only conceptually. And I, I, I know this experience and I, so I really can relate to it. And I also, I also know this experience as a sort of constant, um, it's, it's in a way it's, it doesn't go away in, in, in myself um, as this world is truly um, undergoing this transformation, which means that the world we know it is about to die. And um, so it's really real and um, I can't make it go away. So it's, it's always there. So this feeling is very, uh, it's very, um, graspable and uh, very present. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really think it, I know what you're talking about and it, it's interesting to, to hear um, you, re, you, you locate it in space and time um, in, in your life um, relating to the, the election to the 2016 election. And, and um, as I, I, I've been traveling through California in that year and, and meeting friends um, and discussing the, the possibility <laughs> of this becoming real and they wouldn't believe it. Um, and I kind of had the feeling like traveling through rural California and, um, um, filling, filling the, um, car at gas stations and just getting the feeling of, okay, so this might really be an option. So, so I, mm. yeah, thanks. But just, just for locating this, um, a little bit more deeply. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, right? Like so much of what you write about is that all, you know, all these thoughts, like 
scientifically, biology, all of those things, they exist in relationship. They, they don't mm-hmm. become real until they're mm-hmm. in the world in relationship with other things. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I think, like I said, I think that the concept of death had, of course, always been in me, but until it became a reality that was actually present in my own body, I didn't yeah. really have to contend with it. And, and yeah. of course, a lot of what you write about is how, how much work we do to actually push off the idea. Of- yeah. And I mean, we, we all do it. Um, and it's, we all do it because a it's human. So it's, it's, well, let's say it's even, it's even related to, it's even, um, logically built into life itself or into the, the, the experience of life by a living being itself that, um, that as we try to um, make ourselves flourish as, as the, this prime movement of life creating more of itself, um, j- just logically, um, system logically, it's clear that we, death is something which is postponed because it hasn't, it hasn't, it somehow has not, it hasn't, hasn't something to do with expanding or unfolding. Um, although it, um, in, in the depth of it very much has to do with it. But so it's, I think it's, it's actually related to every, it's, it's in every, every manifestation of life that in this manifestation of the experience of being alive in a way, death is far away. But then if you just look behind the mirror, it's, it's there, like, like in a freshly flowering meadow, that's the, in a way it's the antithesis to, to death. It's, it's sort of like spring, um, uh, it's blossoming. It's, it's this exp- expanding motion, the smell. So you, you feel very much alive in this, but then if you, if you just look into it, if you bow down, if you start to dig, whatever, if you just go deeper into it, then you realize that it's so much linked with death, um, and with, individuals, um, dissolving into other individuals that you could also call it, um, the flowering of the blossoming of death. But I mean, in the, in the, in the moment of experience, um, it's, um, it's not there. And, um, and so we, we, in a way we have to, um, to work towards this, to, to, to work, to work towards containing this as a part of the world we're in. And, yeah, that's that's where I started actually. That, that was a long detour. So 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 our world um, is um, is in inside a century-long struggle against death as a concept and as an experience and as a reality in the world. So I, I, I'd say the the idea of um, of Western society, of Western capitalistic society, has been to, to escape death. There's a, there's a great book. Uh, you, you, you probably know, I, I quoted a lot from this Ernest Becker, the, the denial of death, a, a U.S. psychologist who has really deeply um, thought about this. And, and, um, and I'd say that one of the main tasks of, well, at least my life is to embrace death and and um, and to to make myself really not only ready for it but but really accepting the need of death in creation in 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 making things being born and um just just to add a little anecdote into it so i'm i'm actually thinking 
um, in growing older. So, so we should kind of try to start to walk towards this and, 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 and somehow, um, not only accepting it, but just, just, just embracing it, embracing it in terms of making the life, uh, making our life and the whole life fuller and, and, and more real because, that's what is needed to happen, that we give ourselves back into this fertile biosphere or fertile sphere of sense and meaning also. And um, once I asked, not, not too long ago, actually, I asked uh, an elderly friend of mine, and she, she's really old, she's over 80, and she's, she has a lot of illnesses, and she's also, she's also a philosopher. And I asked her how that feels, to be so close to death. Mm. And I really wanted, you know, I really wanted to know how does that feel? You're so close to it. So you somehow, maybe you see more of it. And she was so absolutely angry with me that I dared to ask this question. So I made her mortal in, by asking this question. And she obviously didn't want to be mortal. So she, she obviously was not at the point or at least she was at that point of time. She wasn't at this point you, you talk, you have been talking about. Um, and she somehow wanted to push it away and say, no, 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 let's not talk about death. And let's, let's not talk about my death in the first place. <laughs> let's right. talk about it conceptually. But I mean, let's, so let's see how far I, I'll come. But um, I mean, I'm in a way, so that's, that's where, this is why we are, your, your question is very welcome. So I'm, I'm kind of like working through it all the time, but I really, that's something I somehow expect from myself that I, um, I, I get to a point where I might be sad to go, but not unwilling to give myself back. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that brought up a couple of things for me. One is the, I think what you talk about is the enlightenment project of trying to ignore death mm -hmm. uh, or push away death. But first, I think I, I would love actually to dig into that more personal piece of number one, I think, you know, what is really present for you or, or, or do you have an anecdote where death actually sort of dropped into your body, your own death? Mm -hmm. And even, even though that's a living question for you right now, of course, it's an ongoing yeah. thing, but is there something like me where there was you and a point in space and time encountering that and having to grapple with that? And then also where, you know, this might be a bigger question, but the, like where these connections actually started for you. Like, I know you have a long line of mentors and people that you've, you know, studied under, of course, but I, I think I sort of mean it in the same way that like, as much mm. as maybe you studied under people, when was it that these connections actually came into your body and your mm. physical experience yeah. of the world? Yeah, that's, it's, it's actually a good way to ask a question, not only ask the question, but say, when did this experience came come into your body because only then it starts to be real otherwise it's we're just talking about it and not we're not even sincerely talking about it we're just saying things about it we have others heard saying about them right yeah i need to i need to think a little bit about it and, and maybe I, I i work my way towards it because i i actually i don't have a i don't have a fixed narrative of that and um and I mean, on, on the one hand, um, I, so, so there's a, there's a very much, um, 
there's a, there's a strand of all this. It's not the only one. So let's start by this, um, which is, um, which is actually coming from a philosophical conceptual side. Think, thinking about life brings you quickly to a point where you realize that there is something in life, which is intrinsically um, struggling for more life or desiring more life. And there's also a side to it, which is pulling it down, mm. like, like, um, exhausting all your energy, um, will, will make your matter fall, fall down and rest and becoming chemically inert. So, so, um, just thinking about life brings you to the point where you have to admit um, a sort of dialectics or polarity. So that's, it's all, it's, it's also a philosophical question. Of course. And how do, how do bodies, how do cells, um, which are made of these things, which if, if they're not in a cell, just lie around and decompose or, or not even that just dust. And then they're in a cell and they are part of this, um, ongoing self-realization. So that's a, it's a profound philosophical question. Um, so that's one part of it. Um, but then for sure, there is a personal part of it. Um, and, and which made me, which made me put so much death into this book, which is so much about life <laughs> and, and, um, and, and it's, it's, I, I wrote it when I, um, I broke free from several restraining, um, um, settings or, or, or behaviors in my own life. So, so once my marriage broke down or I, 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 I helped it break down, um, and, um, it, which, which was, um, causing a lot of, um, toxic pain, um, for my kids as well in, in the setting in which we were. Mm -hmm. And then I had to understand my choices, which had led me there. And, um, I also had to, and that, that was somehow in the same batch of, of, of things to digest. Uh, to think about my, um, my professional choices. So how would I be able to write about topics which were really um, important for me? And, and, and it broke down somehow to, um, how to, how to be real, how to be truly really what I feel I am and I need to do. And I need to take from the world and I need to give from the world. So it was very much a struggle about my personal truth or trueness. And, and then, um, mother, the mother of my kids, um, started this. Um, so you, you won't see your kids anymore thing, uh, which then became a very existential menace. So that was a sort of death inflicted from, um, or not, it wasn't death actually. So, but it, Yes, it was death. So I needed to kind die through this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, death is, death is, and that's something we've forgotten in the West that it's not an end. It's, it's a passage. Right. <laughs> and, um, um, so, so we, we're actually dying lots of deaths in our lives and sadly many of them, we, 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 we don't need to die if we died other deaths, <laughs> the right deaths. Um, so, so, so many of us are just, we're just spinning in this kind of re relentlessly reoccurring senseless death of, which is actually just toxic pain. Um, and we, we should die other deaths and let go of things, which we, which 
which keep us somewhere where we where we don't belong. So just to to to, to finish this anecdote um, um, or this this part of my life story. Um, so I, I really um, I was in that situation where I had to decide if I um, if I struggle for what I felt was um, the right thing to do, or if I somehow sit in the corner and and suffer. And um, I decided to struggle. And um, but then first things became harder and then they became clearer and stuff settled and dust dust settled and the, the water wasn't that murky anymore. So, so the, it was a period of intense transformation actually, uh, which wasn't related to physical death. So I, I, there was no illness or, or, or any death occurring in my life or a, a near death. But he said, doesn't need to be um, organic um, in order to be felt as death. And um, yeah, and so I'm, I'm, I thought a lot about trauma and, and all these things that you find in that book as well. And um, so it was, it was very personal. And I emerged changed, absolutely. So I still vouch for that. And I still know that I... Um, I really do things differently, not, not everything, but, but some important things. And, and, um, and somehow I've taken on and I didn't, I didn't, I think I've not really, um, I haven't become um, untrue to this idea that, um, I, I, um, to my vow to embrace the necessary deaths, <laughs> which, which is actually what I, what I told you before about, um, getting older and older and, and starting to just to prepare yourself to, to embrace this necessary death. Yeah. I, I think too, part of me wanted to ask that question because I know you tell this story in matter and desire and, and other places that is the moment sort of when joy dropped into your body, which is that story mm -hmm. about letting, you know, finding the swift and your friend's chimney and you know, yeah. touching it and releasing it and letting it go and feeling its heartbeat and feeling the joy that came off of it, you know, for you at least when you can't know exactly what it experienced, but you knowing that you experienced yeah. that joy and then you shared that with your friend, I was, you know, I was just curious too, if there was a moment at which you had where, you know, death sort of dropped into your body. But I think the other anecdote that I have that is just so tied into your work and matter and desire in particular is, you know, related to something you said, again, I guess like going back to the enlightenment and this idea that for the last hundred or so years that the, you say that the concepts that have dominated our world are the struggle for existence, competition, growth, optimization, things like forcing and control and that sort of thing. And for me, I've always been sort of, you know, I think as a person, like I said earlier, who really resonated with the idea of generalists and which is really part of why I started this podcast was in order for me to grapple with these dual things in my, in yeah. my own self, right. To create yeah. a container where these things that were seemingly unrelated actually could have a container, not where they got resolved, but where I could hold them mm -hmm. in tension. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, being a generalist, I've always been sort of a floaty, you know, work is a an interesting thing for me. Cause it's never been a through line. I, I never have done one thing really. And I've often hopped around jobs and in, you know, right around the time when I was working on that 
farm restaurant hotel project, I was employed at this place, sort of in and out full-time contract work, that sort of thing. But I, I stayed there for a period of about three years. And in the midst of that, I got introduced to this course that was being taught at a university here, the School of Mines, the Colorado School of Mines, that I, t I was told I could audit. And I've, I've told the story. I'm, th this is for me sort of like your Swift story. I will probably tell it and almost everything I tell because it was like the sort of genesis for a lot of things. But I, I took, I audited this class. It was taught by a quantum physicist and a poet. His name's Lincoln Carr. I've had him on also to record a, a discussion with him. And it was amazing. And the real story that relates to matter and desire and what I was reading in that at that time was that you know, I, it was like a truly my first embodied example of what aliveness meant because I would go to work every day at this job that I was good at and that, you know, I enjoyed generally. I didn't love it. If I had any chance to not have to do it, you know, I would have loved that. But, you know, in that moment in doing it, I didn't hate it, but it, it just wasn't, I knew I would leave work every day and I would feel drained, even though it was easy for me and that sort of thing. But then, you know, this class was in the middle of a work week, which is, and I had to travel across town to go get to it. And it was a four hour long class to go sit in that I was auditing. It didn't even, it wasn't even for credit for me. You know, it was truly out of just pleasure and joy and curiosity. And I had been on sort of this, you know, multi-year experience of learning that after a lifetime of being told that I was just an artist and not really a scientist because I was never really that good at math or science. Um, I, I started to realize how deeply, how, how deeply poetic science was basically. And so I started to read people like Carlo Rovelli and, you know, quantum physicists who were talking about the poetry of science and physics and that sort of thing. But so that led me to that class and I'd been on a multi-year, you know, experiment and what it would mean for me to, to dip my toes into science as someone who's mostly been an arts and a humanitarian, you know, humanity, humanities person for so long. Anyway, so I, I go to this class and I just have this recollection of, you know, leaving in the middle of the work week from a job that had drained me and then traveling to this four hour class in the middle of work week and coming back home at 10 PM our time and being so full of energy. I felt like I could run around the block. I was just so, I was literally physically enlivened by the experience of this class. And for me, it said something about not just being in relationship with other people, but that we are in relationships also with our work. And mm -hmm. after so many listeners just know that the talking in the background of the Italians is just going to continue to happen. And that's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'm not going to edit it out. So, um, it, it made me question, not just, you know, do my relationships bring me alive? but does my work bring me alive? And yeah. Robin, you know, Robin Wall Kimmerer, who I was also reading at the time, which makes sense because she's in that same line of, of thought, you know, has something in, I think, braiding sweetgrass that says something like, you know, I love the earth, but does the earth love me back? Mm -hmm. And in, it sort of forced me into this place of going, okay, I don't necessarily love my work, but can, can I love my work? And also, can my work love me back? Am I, I, meaning I realized for the first time in my own body that I was in relationship with the work that I did in the world. And there was something real about 
the experience of finding work that brought you alive. And aliveness at that moment became a compass for me that like I could actually operationalize aliveness because I could feel it in my own body. And so I could start to go, does this relationship bring me alive? Does my work bring me alive? Does this food I'm eating bring me alive? You know, and where I think a lot of times I have a hard time, like a lot of people sort of conceptualizing what it means to be happy. Aliveness was a physical experience that I could gauge in real time, that my body was answering me back, yes or no, this does or doesn't bring you more life. And so mm. it became a guiding compass for me, especially I think in my work, where I started to realize, I think to your point, to sort of wrap that back in, what you just said is, even though, I, you know, I think there's a sense of when we avoid death, we're actually inviting it because mm -hmm. I, I continue mm -hmm. to push it away so much that it deadens my experience of the world. Mm -hmm. And so though I'm not dead and I think I'm trying to do my best to survive, which is what capitalism and enlightenment and all those things teach us about competition and struggle for existence and growth and optimization and efficiency and all of those things, I started to go, well, what if the universe actually wants me to be alive? And, and what would that look like? To, how, how would that guide how I work in the world? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Thanks. So, so thanks a lot for, um, for continuing the work I, I, I started in, in the book. Um, as you obviously um, um, in, in a very sensitive and att attentive way, um, live this um, through your embodied existence. And um, I, I think I didn't even go so far in that book to, 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 to describe it like this, or like you described it. Um, and it makes absolutely, it absolutely makes sense. And, and I, I think um, that's very much how I do things actually. Um, and it's, it's, it's even something I cannot um, I cannot switch off anymore. <laughs> so I'm, I'm also doomed. So in a way, if I, if I realize that something um, does not make me alive or is, is, is seriously um, kills my aliveness, it's, it's not something I can push away anymore. So I need to find a solution. I mean, I mean, we, we, we all know that there might be necessary things and even necessary in a good thing, good sense, um, things which, which are very unpleasant, but that's, that's different. That's, that's, that's something different. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's actually, it's actually a compass for toxicity. We, we, we can, we, we, we are able to find, it might not be always easy, um, to, to, to get there. And, um, and we might some, um, um, some initiatory experiences to get there. So, so, so something needs to be lit or somebody needs to be contagious with life. Mm. Um, um, but, but I think actually it's, 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 it's actually easy um, because every living being has this because in the logic, and now I'm, you, you see, as I did in the book, I'm kind of doing this stepping back and forth between um, 
between um, experiential phenomenological explanation and, and a little bit um, biological um, biophilosophical reasoning but um, if, if, if a, a being wants to keep on existing so it so if it wants to be to keep itself herself or himself alive it needs to have um, an experience of what this is so it's absolutely logical that we um, we can feel this and we should head into the direction and it's um, it's wrong to go against it because because we we're going against um, something which is um, built into our constitution of, of living beings. And um, I mean, the, um, the, the interesting question then comes when um, we um, follow this compass and then we need to find solutions for all the sort of um, new direction it's giving, new directions it's giving us, because then we need, we're, we're kind of culturally or socially challenged because you're, you can't bulldoze in a straight way following your aliveness. That's it's, it's, it doesn't work. And I mean, it's, it's, it's also not how it works in, in ecosystems. Um, but, but as you probably have realized then, then, um, um, uh, one 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 sees how many changes would be needed to uh, put uh, human togetherness back on an aliveness footing. <laughs> We're kind of far away from this. Yes, indeed. Uh, I I also don't know if you've read. Speaking of, you know, no longer being able to operate outside of alive if that's your compass if aliveness mm. becomes your compass how hard it is then when you feel not alive to to then make mm. life choices that that bring you anything short of that uh resonates for me also reminds me of audrey lord's work the uses of the erotic of course yeah yeah she talks about how once you've tasted the erotic it's impossible basically to settle for anything else and then yeah. the other thing it brings up for me do you know the work of charles eisenstein yeah Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know both. And I'm, I, I, I really, I really admire Audrey Lorne. Um, I, I also like Charles work very much. And, yeah. um, I, I mean, I learned order alerts. I, I knew her work later than Charles's work. And, mm. and I, it, that was a really, that was really a, a light in the darkness for me to discover her, her stuff. That was really, really great. Hmm. And, um, yeah, sorry, but I interrupted you. So no, did, no, it's totally fine. I asked a question, so <laughs> it was fine. Uh, but yeah, I, I joked recently, I think on Twitter that, you know, I, I don't know why I ever read anything other than uses of the erotic. It's basically all I ever need to read in order to, you know, set a compass for every day of my life. Uh, yeah. you know, it's so short and succinct, but so powerful, but I, I only recently came into knowing the work of Charles Eisenstein because I have friends who know him yeah. and it's funny because I read matter and desire four or five years ago and just recently coming into Charles's work, he talks about so many similar things like that, you know, what we experience internally is really a you know, gets reflected in the external world, but really vice versa, that the external is a reflection of our internal world. But more than that, I think I've really been diving into his stuff. I've been taking his course, uh, living in the gift and, mm -hmm. and it is that project that you talk about in terms of what it means to operate then that you can't just bulldoze through your life when you're using aliveness as a compass, because really it's a state of being in constant 
relationship to whatever's going on currently for you and making choices out of that and not knowing, not being able to know and control what's coming next. And even beyond that, it's often a state of both gratitude and living in the gift that in order to live almost your most alive self, you come to this natural place. I think of realizing it's that idea of the commons, right? That Mm-hmm. We are all in constant reciprocity with each other. And it, last night I was reading back through portions of the sort of latter half of matter and desire and realizing how much you talk about the gift. And I had completely forgotten that part of it from, you know, when I read it a few years back and you were talking about a lived experience of starting to embody trust, what it was to trust that the world was going to meet your needs and mm. that what what you needed to survive rather than forcing, you know, the sense of control we have around how we're going to make money, how we're going to survive in the world, how we're going to have relationships that sustain us, that sort of thing. It was, you know, I think all of us sort of coming to this natural place of going, Oh, in order to be most alive, I actually have to let go of a notion of controlling all those things and actually start to live in wild generosity and Mm -hmm. gift and, yeah, just trust. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now it's, it's actually nice that you remind me of that, of that latter part of, of, of the book. Um, because, um, when I wrote it, um, I, I was in a different mood than I, than when, when I wrote the, let's say the first half of it or the first two thirds. Um, when I wrote the last, um, third where, where I'm talking about the gift, um, but I, I I I wrote it with that feeling of um, of of really having um, having been given an insight. So it was very much um, it, it was a, it was a very good experience to do this and to understand that actually um, or to well I I say understand um, to 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 have the the experience or the insight that um, our plain existence. Um, is already um, continuously the reception of a gift, um, and and every every central encounter is actually being gifted by something. And then you can again break da- break it down to a to a biological argument, which then becomes very profound, and and uh, on a on a um, phenomenological or experiential or spiritual level. And um, and I mean, we, we talked about this um, um, this experience when death is necessary in order to um, to live what you are. But what you are is actually not something which um, which is um, objectively true in a way, but it is also something which has been given to you. So it's it's I I think that's it's it's a very profound reality. Um, and it's also seeing the world as um, a, an, an exchange of gifts. And it's also um, a reality which older cultures have um, kept as the default um, for, for understanding the world, that, that um, at the beginning was a gift. And um, we, we are receivers of gifts and we need to be givers of gifts. And, and for one, because um, only gifts keep the cosmos fertile, but on, on the other hand, because we want to give gifts. I mean, that's, that's, that's to me the, and I think it's part of that, um, that last, um, third of the book. That's, that's to me, that's always such an amazing experience that when I, um, 
receive something, and I mean, I'm, I'm talking about this, um, this, this, this daily mode of mind of being in the world and receiving its um, fecundity or its beauty, which is, is still there, <laughs> although it's so menaced. And, um, and then it, it, it immediately arouses in me the need to give something back. So that's probably the reason why I'm writing books or I'm writing articles or essays or I'm writing because I need the, I, I feel the need of, of, of giving an echo of, of, of putting into form, um, something which came to me through this experience, or you could also say through this other being who, who gifted me, um, with that in that moment. Um, for example, here, here, here in, in Italy, in the summer or in the meadows, as I'm in the, the Apennines, I'm a little bit higher. I'm not at the, at the coast and there are these beautiful wild, um, meadows and um, forest fringes. And there are these um, extremely colorful moths, which are, who are, which are called burnets. And they're, they're like tiny moths. They're not that very big. Um, and they, they have extremely lush colors, like a dark blue with um, crimson spots on their wings. You know? wow. So they're, they're absolute jewels and they're flying around somehow slowly because they know they are indigestible and birds know they're indigestible because they have already thrown up every, every, every one of them once, and then they don't eat them anymore. And, um, and, and, um, it's, it's just, it's just like a, a really experience walking there, experience this as being, as being showered with, um, light, which is a gift, which is gifted to me. And then I, I can't help, but, wanting to give back and um that's that's and then in my in my case it's um it's it's focusing on on, on, on writing about this and making way also to to see it to experience it experience it more from that angle mm. and and not only from the angle of um seeing it as a manifestation of um, successful efficiency efficiency <laughs> now you hear probably the church, the, the, the church bell yeah it will it will um, ring twice it does it um, two minutes to the hour and two minutes or three minutes after it and that this has to do with a certain flexibility in in, in being in being um, at time on time you know it's it's yes. you're already it's it's it, there's no there's no now it is eight o'clock it's it's kind of eight o'clock <laughs> we're somewhere near eight o'clock <laughs> yeah near or light slightly after so it's blurred it's in a way it's it's somehow it's it's just it's not a point it's a zone <laughs> it's the eight o'clock zone okay that was a I'm little date yeah. yeah 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 totally. yeah yeah um i think what well first of all yes i'm just gonna uh, the word you used i'll echo back to you that i think mm -hmm. in, in my experience of sort of using aliveness as a compass in my world that i think the more that i've leaned into that and the more that i've leaned into living out of a gift and gratitude and all of those things that there's this, this experience i have of compulsion like a almost mm -hmm. like the enlivenment it, it creates in me is so big it's hard to just keep it in my body i feel compelled to to share it out 
And mm. for mm. me, similarly, a lot of times that's, that's either this sort of speaking or it's writing it and putting it, like you said, into some sort of form that other people can then digest and chew on and, you know, work with and continue the conversation. And, but the, the other thing I feel like that it's just so present for me is wondering like what, you know, like I said, a lot of this has really guided then of course, what, what I do with my work and how in the world. And, you know, there's something else I love from Charles. He says something to the, the effect of like, we become that which we create. And, and I love, I think you even talk about that some in matter and desire that literally like the work that we do in the world actually influences our cellular biology. So, you know, all of the relationships are constantly affecting each other. And so I, I literally become the work I do in the world at a, at a physical biological level in some ways. And so in sort of pursuing that path, I have this question, I think about how you would describe what biology has to say about purpose. What is it, you know, either both collectively as a species, you know, are humans here for a particular purpose? You know, I think sort of expanding on that too, that, you know, when you talk about biology that like, and desire, you talk about matter and desire, of course, so that like atoms have a desire to, to join together and become something more. And then molecules have a desire to come together and become something more. And I have this sort of ongoing question is like, what is it that at a species level, humans have a mm -hmm. desire to come together? What is the more that we want to create in the world? And so I'm sure that there's something about how our work individually reflects that too. But I think, especially for me, like the questions I'm sitting with are then what what does biology have to tell me about my own purpose in the world and whether or not I'm going to guess before you even give me a response. <laughs> I was telling this to a friend yesterday. So I was in conversation with her and we were talking about all these like sort of tensions in our own life. And I was like, I think I want to ask Andreas about this and you know, sort of this idea of purpose and how I've been thinking about it lately. And my guess is that I think there's something at a biological level that of course, like even as individuals that we have been imbued with a particular purpose in our experience of being here in the world, but that of course that purpose is always lived out in relationship with everything we encounter, our relationships, our work, our, where we live in the world, geography, you know, that sort of thing, what we eat, all of that. So that we might have an inherent sense of purpose biologically, but then we're also put into the world and that influences mm. how we operate. Uh, but now that I've just spoken at you, all these yeah. things. Yeah. What would, yeah. what would your response so, be? The, the easiest, the easiest thing for me now would be to, would be to say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and you put it so nicely. Um, but I, this, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help you in your, in your, in your, for your, for the purpose of this blog. So I, I, I'll elaborate on that. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually, I start with a thought I had when you were talking before about, um, um, about aliveness as a, as a compass to, um, um, to be a, a part of, um, of, of, of something bigger unfolding. So, so, um, in, in my, in my years with that idea, I, um, I realized that, um, it, it, it can also be something which can lead you on a wrong track. So because you can be so enthusiastic about feeling alive that you don't realize um, that other parts in yourself or parts in others are overridden by that ecstasy of yourself. Mm. 
Um, so, so aliveness is something which is not um, individualistically only in yourself, but it's also part of a shared network of, of something which, which, I mean, I, I, I kind of call, would call it the, the aliveness of the world, but I, in, in, the, in recent times, I used the word fecundity um, as, as, as um, something which is blossoming, but also um, having a potential to yield more of this. And, and so that's something which is shared. And, and I'd, um, I'd recommend um, always to check if, if what we are doing in our aliveness is really um, nourishing um, the aliveness of everything and everyone around us. Um, that's very important uh, that, that we have this, um, this framework of, of, of reciprocity, of mutuality in that. And I, I, I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> so I'm speaking from, own ex from my own experience. And, and I mean, it's, this is just part of the beauty of, of the, the world we're living in is that, um, um, that, that something can, that, that, that joy can mislead us, but it's, it's just part of why um, hmm. this earth is so beautiful because it's not completely ordered and we, we need to do this ordering um, partly by ourselves. Um, and um, I'd say that, so that's, that's, an, that's an important point, which leads me to, to the answer of what you said, what you, what, you are, what, you, what you were asking about purpose. So, so or let's say that leads me to an attempt to, to answer this, because it, as, you, as you already hinted to, it's, it's a kind of night-long conversation, which, which could start from this. And um, I mean, I'd say, let, let me say as, as, a, as a first um, shot, and then I, I explain more deeply, our purpose is to make the world fecund. That's our purpose. I'd, I'd really put it like that strongly. And if we don't do this, we are missing our purpose. And I'd say that if we don't do this, we also feel bad. Uh, most of us, you, you can be, um, you can be, you can grow up or somebody can grow up in such a, in such a, um, um, horrible way that he or she isn't able to feel this fecundity anymore. So, so we know sociopathic people. So we know that people can be traumatized in a way that they, and that's again, why I cautioned about just trusting blindly your aliveness so, so that they can't really um, healthily feel what is making others and themselves alive. So then, then, then we're misguided. Um, but um Normally, I'd say that if we contribute to the fecundity of the cosmos, including ourselves, so that's not a, that's not a dualistic thing. It's not, it's not like, okay, now you can decide if you're working for the cosmos or if you're working for yourself and buy you a nice SUV next year. So it's, that's not a choice. So if, you, if you're working for the fecundity of the whole, we're working also for ours. But if we do this, um, we feel right and we forgot about we forget about the question for the purpose because we feel that um, we don't need to ask because somehow it, it's it's okay. Um, so that's that's I, I'd say that's um, that's how I'd start from the top of it um, about 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 uh, from the human point of it. And if we go down um, to the more biologically observ biological observations, then I'd say even the the Burnett is working for the, for the fecundity of the cosmos in, in its or his or her way. And um, by 
being a part of the Gary Snyder called it etiquette of freedom of the, the reciprocity in, 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 in the ecosystem, which allows beings to unfold and then to sink again into the whole and which make, which is making it fecund, which is giving life, which creates life, which, um, as, as Robin Kimmerer would put it, uh, makes the cosmos go on forever. And she's a, she's a fantastic um, thinker and writer. Actually. I'm a huge admirer Absolutely. of hers. Yes, I'm a really huge admirer of hers. And um, so, so um, stepping one step back more, um, I'd say that, and I mean, I probably... Yes, I think even in the last in the last quarter of the book, or in the last fifth, <laughs> in the penultimate chapter, I think I wrote about this. Um, but I, I'd say it. Um, I thought more about this, and I'd, I'd say it in in more definite words, probably right now. So I, I, I believe that the the the, the world is um, desiring to unfold itself and to experience itself. And to experience itself as being able to give life, so that's built into the the substance of the cosmos, which then by this is not only a material substance, but it's also a substance of feeling and desire and and let's call it um, in interior experience or subjectivity. Mm -hmm. So, so this world is actually as a total is something which I, I like to call poetic space. So it's, you know, you, you said Einsteinian time. So it's not, so it's something more than just space. It's, it's a space in which um, meaning um, is created and experienced um, for, by, for example, us. And um, so everything what we're doing, and that, that also echoes something which you said before, everything we're doing is happening to that poetic space of, of desiring fecundity. And it's it's only it, also if we only do it for ourselves, or if it only happens inside ourselves, it also happens in this whole space. So it's we do it to the whole to to this whole thing. So this is also why we're not. It's also a sense in which we're not separate, um, even if we really hide it and we don't tell it anybody, and we manage not not even to tell it our best friend forever. It's still there, and it's still changing this, and. Um, and this is now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of walking away from your original question. Um, and this is why it's important to, um, to, to, to keep focus on creating fecundity, even if we're not doing anything concrete with it, even if we're just, um, if it's just about our intentions or about our dreams or about what we're thinking or about what we are, what we are focusing on. So I, th I because it's, everything changes this, space of desire, um, which takes life and then births life again. And, and that's something our civilization has absolutely forgotten. This is totally out of fashion. So we, because, because our civilization conceives of the world as a, as a completely, utterly material place of made of objects. And, um, and that's absolutely wrong. So it's, 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 a, it's a com completely, idiotic error. <laughs> I mean, it's systematic ideology, ideological blinding of, of, of our better intuitions. But I mean, once 
we're in it and we reproduce it and 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 we're struggling for meaning in 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 this world which by definition is not able to hold any meaning you know i mean you're asking for well, what is what is what could we say about the, the purpose of 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 each of us and and you're asking this in the in front of the background of a world which has been defined and which is defined and if you go to to school and to university you learn it again and again that it's defined as bleakly dead and objects only and um, no wonder maybe yeah yeah I, i mean yes i mean blind blind struggle for um being more efficient than the others in order to keep them down or something yes right and um, i think that's a, it's a major error it's 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 such a big error that it's now causing a a fifth dying event in uh, geo history <laughs> and we're witnesses to it at least to the beginning yeah but i mean it's it will go this this pers- this view will go away because it's it's wrong and everything which is wrong won't survive Yes. <laughs> the, the okay, that part, was a, that was a long curly answer, but I think no, um, I, I um, actually the first part of what you said in terms of you know considering our purpose and and using aliveness as a compass, and not just in our own bodies, but making sure that we're paying attention to how that's also uh, you know creating aliveness or not in other people, reminded me. I'm it just. You know, the more I I sort of dig into all of these texts and have these conversations, it, it's just amazing to me that, of course, like we we all sort of come to similar like you know, there's threads in there that I think makes sense. And and maybe if you don't connect them in real time, of course, it's one of those hindsight is twenty twenty things that you know, remarkably or not so remarkably, in the last few years, attachment theory has been big in my world. And talking about like, um, you know, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, those sorts of things. And I think that to me is where I've really started to be able to, to understand that all these times when I thought I was really alive, like, let's say like, for me, this is really real in relationship, of course. So especially Mm -hmm. in romantic or dating relationships Mm -hmm. where I would think, I'm just so excited. This must be aliveness, you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. really what it actually was, was an unhealthy attachment to mm-hmm. someone else I was looking to, to fill something else mm-hmm. in me. And, mm-hmm. and I think that energetically and biologically, I'm guessing that's just a very different space than, mm-hmm. than what I call actual aliveness. I mm-hmm. think, yeah. um, and I can feel that differently in my body that like there's yeah. a, it's either the sense of, I'm, I'm in need of someone else to fill. And so then I have this sense of anxiety and desperation and that sort of thing. But on the other hand, when I feel alive and how I can tell that hopefully I'm also inspiring aliveness and in, in the others that I'm in relationship with is when it actually feels like giving, like you were saying mm-hmm. that, that when mm-hmm. you've been gifted something and I have of course been gifted life and resources and so many incredible things and And when I am in a state of constantly, not constantly, you know, the best I can recognizing a gratitude for that, Mm. when I approach other people in relationship, it's coming from a place of sharing out of what I already have, not asking someone to fill something that I lack. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that to me, I think is how I've really, you know, grappled with what it means as I 
try to practically understand what it is to, to both be alive myself and more alive and, and seek aliveness, but also make sure that it's not causing a kind of yeah. death of any kind in others. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. I really, I think you really put it brilliantly and I'm really happy that we, we are talking about this point and, and this is something I'm, I'm, I, I feel like making clearer than I, when I was writing that book actually, because, because I, um, I, I, I went on in my own experiences and, and I, I started to realize that, um, and we, we can't only, um, we, we can't put all our chips on the feeling of ecstasy <laughs> right? because then, then it, it will, it will hurt someone. And I think you, or it will hurt ourselves as well. So if it, if it hurts someone, um, it hurts ourselves as well. And I think you, you really, um, you really said it uh, when you, you said that, um, um, if, if you really feel alive, it's, you're in a mode of giving and it's, it, 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 that means that others around you feel also enlivened by you. That, so that's what is happening in genuinely enlivening situations with people who are, who are truly alive. They, they automatically, um, share this with others and they make others feel like this. And um, it, it's very different from the mode of, um, um, of, of, of being saved for a moment and for that reason feeling um, completely um, ecstatic. That's, it's very different. And, um, and, and you see, so you see, it's, it's all, again something which you can't, um, you can't define for only an individual. You, you, you need to define it for, for the whole setting or for a community or for, for, for interaction. So it's, uh, you can only define it relationally. So you can't really say about an, an unrelated individual, um, is she or, or, or he um, really alive or does she or he or she feel really alive? If you don't take into account um, all the other beings with whom we are in our, in, 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 in constant um, relation. And I mean, you could even say in our civilization, if you, if somebody is earning a lot of money and, um, is able to buy a nice house, um, at, at, at the waterfront somewhere and whatever, and the kids go to a good school and she, he or she might feel really alive, but it's only in this microscopic bubble of, of, of hedonism. Um, if, if you, if you switch off, um, feeling relationships to the broader world, and then you're walking through the next neighborhood and, and you see that, oh, there's some, obviously something wrong that I'm just so easily making my living and you, you, you are homeless or you're walking a little bit farther and you see the state of the, 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 the barren, whatever dried out, um, non-human being. So it's, it's, um, it's again, it's something which, which, which only can come to its true fruition if you, if it's felt in relationship and, and, and so, so we need to, we, this, so this is really, it's really important to, um, make it understand in this way. But I think, I think if we, by, by, and I, I mean, what you said is just the perfect illustration of this by, by, um, consciously working through our ways of relating, we, we arrive at a point where it comes naturally that we, 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 we want this reciprocity and we want this sort of, um, collective aliveness. And we, we don't, we're not satisfied anymore with this being just, just being in this kind of oversweetened state of, of now everything is okay, finally, or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so that's so important that it's a, it's a, um, it's something about um, togetherness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that made me remember two things. Also, one is that Charles has this, Charles Eisenstein has this video, uh, actually with my friend who knows him, Lauren, where she sort of asks him, look, I've got a philosopher at, you know, at, at hand, I, I want to ask you <laughs> sort of what, yeah, why yeah. are we here? What does it matter? Yeah, you know, and it's a yeah. video about metaphysics and, and life. And, you know, Charles is, if, if I were to unfortunately need to reduce his response to that question down to, you know, a simple sentence, it was something related to fecundity, which was the point of life is more life. You know, yeah. we, we are here to create more life. And the second thing I thought of is not long after I met Lauren, I watched that video cause she and her brother had shared it with me. And after I finished it or probably even part way through, I was so overcome with that like sense of aliveness I had to share. And I stopped the video and I recorded a 20 minute long voice memo on my phone to Lauren, yeah. who at the time was just <laughs> nearly a stranger. And I thought, surely yeah. this is, this is going to end our friendship at the beginning because this is just crazy. But I sent her this 20 minute response. And part of it was talking about both I read her pieces of matter and desire and I had written sort of similar things that Charles was talking about. But this other thing, which is for me, not long after reading matter and desire, probably within two or three years, I, I was really having all these health issues Mm. and, and, you know, gut things, depression, stuff that I was starting to see as like a sort of conglomerate of autoimmune conditions. Mm. And so again, of course, this is where for me, these ideals, these ideas land in my body and they, be, they become real in experience. And part of that for me was I had met someone named Asia Dorsey who taught me actually about fermenting. Mm-hmm. And when I watched this video about Charles, I was like, you know, what is so amazing to me, this is going to seem like a non sequitur, but it, it ties in is that fermentation for me was a practical example of what it means to put two living things, water mm-hmm. or three, water, salt, and some sort of, you know, material like uh, cabbage or something mm-hmm. into an ecosystem. And that when they're done being in there together, there is literally more life in them than when they started separately. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's that to me is a basic idea sort of from from permaculture about the idea of regenerative relationships, that there is it's not just sustainability, you know, um, yeah. which I actually like there's stuff in Matter and Desire that talks about like the uh, the state of the world is really like a steady state thing. But in regenerative regenerative relationships, you know, there's there is more life there than there was before. And it is that sort of commons mentality of reciprocity and that we're all sort of, you're, you're gauging actually aliveness, not just on your individual experience, but on the state of the ecosystem and that overall there is more life. But I thought it was so funny because when I was listening to a podcast this morning, that was another one of your interviews, you mentioned being published by Chelsea Green. And I was like, of course, and this will mean nothing to the audience, but because I've done so much fermentation work, they've published Mm. so many uh, fermentation books. And, and I was like, I never even knew that matter and desire or your other works were published by Chelsea green. And it makes a lot of sense to me Mm. because Mm. all the stuff that I've been doing, I knew of (laughs) Chelsea green because of fermentation stuff and was like, you know, we're, we're all in a similar boat, but fermentation was just such a fun example to me of that practical idea of more life 
in an ecosystem. Yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is. And in a way, it, what is happening there, or what, what we are creating by setting up this, this fermentation reactor or container or jar or whatever kimchi box um, is, is, um, is in a way um, it's a, it's a sort of microcosmos. Mm -hmm. So, so you're creating, you said it, you're creating an ecosystem. I mean, the, the, the ecosystem is, um, is, um, is mainly driven by the, the bacteria um, inside of it or some, some yeasts, maybe some fungi. Right. And, um, but in a, in a very tiny space, you're, you're working, you're working with an ecosystem and it's, it's very interesting. I mean, if, if, if fermented produce or food is, um, healthy for ourselves, then it's healthy because it's not a thing what we are taking. It's a, it's a, it's a community, which, which, um, is then incorporated into ourselves who also should be a community. And I mean, it's, that's, that's this thought, you know, that, that we are, we are absolutely a community already. Every individual is already a, a huge, incredibly huge community. Right. And, and, and which, which, which obviously even without, even if we are completely unable to, to sustain this, um, at, at a given moment in time, because of our, um, um, psychological situation, um, it's, it sustains itself and it sustains us and it's, it creates health and, 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 mm -hmm. and, 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 and yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love the metaphor too, because not only is it me existing in a community and, you know, ingesting a community, but also, um, you know, scientifically, biologically, the microbes that exist there, number one, are unseen. We can't see them with mm -hmm. our eyes, but it doesn't mm -hmm. mean they're any less real, which, mm -hmm. you know, I think in your sort of poetic senses is the, you know, the stuff that we consider intangible, but no less are real mm -hmm. and valid ways of, of being in the world. And uh, the other thing is that those microbes actually in their digestion and creating a fermented product break down the material in that little ecosystem, that little universe mm -hmm. you've created. And they actually make the food more bioavailable to your body. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you ingest that community, you not only have more life because of the microbes, you're getting more life and nutrition because the microbes have done their job in making those nutrients more available to you. And so then you literally get more life out yeah. of eating that yeah. one particular yeah. thing. Yeah. Now, I mean, I mean, just, just my like that's, nerdy fermentation. Yeah, that, that's no, that's 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 it's it's complete. I'd say it's biologically completely right. I put it slightly different, mm. um, to, just to, to to highlight that the important uh, the important thing is not uh, building blocks of matter, but it's community. It's mm -hmm. it's it's entanglement. It's it's reciprocity, and and you can't really take away um, food as um, as, 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 as chemical, um, compounds from this idea. So, so, so if you do this, then you somehow separate it and I wouldn't separate it and would say, uh, you're, 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 you're feeding your body who is an ecosystem with, um, um, with living examples of how you're doing good ecology. And that entices your body to, to, to be a better ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so I, 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 I mean, in my thinking, but you can also, you can also watch it from an, from a different angle for sure. But in my, in my thinking, I'd say that, um, um, the, the good thing about 
everything which it has to do with fermentation in any sort. And, and then we can talk about composting, which is a sort of reverse fermentation or another form of fermentation. Right. It's, cre it's creating, it's creating um, productive interactions and, um, and actually productive interactions are, are what, what, are, what is feeding us. And, um, um, I needed some time to translate it back into, into, um, into empirical bio talk, but I'd, I'd sustain that actually as a, as an argument. And it's, it's, this is what it's, what it counts, what counts actually. And, and, and then we actually back, if you allow, um, we're back at, the at the beginning of our talk, because, because if you see yourself as a community, um, which loves to be fed by more community and which loves to feed other communities, then slowly um, the, 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 the experience of your overtowering ego fades away and you, you're starting to be just a, a momentary manifestation of this community, which is always morphing into other communities, like a murmuration of birds, you know? Mm. And I think that's, that's a good way to approach dying actually. So you're, you're still, you're still, you're holding this, but you're, you're sort of momentarily manifestation, but, but, but then there are so much more layers and other layers, which are still um, parts of experiencing life, which wander through you. And, um, and I, I think it's just, it's just, it's just amazing. It's just awesome. It's, it's just so lovely, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. You, you did the work of bringing us back to the beginning about yeah. the intersections <laughs> of love and death. Uh, so thank you for doing that. I think that's beautiful. I think the, the question I would probably end on is, you know, of course, I, I have probably 300 questions I would prefer to, to be able to ask. But I think what I would end on is just what are the, what are the tensions or questions that you're holding right now? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, well, one, one answer is, um, I'm, I'm still working on making myself edible and em embracing this wider unity. So that's, that's not something I'd say I, I, I checked the box. Um, um, it's, it's, that's, um, actually, uh, it's, a, it's a sort of day-to-day um, -day med meditation work. Um, but, but you're also asking for like, what, like, where are my, um, the threads of my thoughts heading and, um, um, what I've been doing in the, in the last time and what I'm doing right now is to try to understand cultures who actually, um, build their, their ways around making life fecund and keeping life fecund on this planet. So I've, I've gone deeply into animistic thinking and that's again, another place where I met um, Robin Wall Kimmerer and, and, and her work and her, her, her great, the great work she did for, um, um, for uh, saving, um, animistic thinking from so many bad Western prejudices. So she's really doing an amazing work. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm actually, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually trying to, um, to, to, to somehow put, put this in, 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 a, in, in, in more, let's say, um, 
Oh, how can I put it? Um, thanks for asking me. So I'm, I'm re- I, you, you see, I'm really, I'm really trying to find words. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably um, at the moment trying to, to somehow institutionalize this and, and going, going still farther back from this um, 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 very personal way of um, my guidance will be my way of being alive and, and looking for um, cultural ways of um, which, which exist and which have, have been there for hundreds of thousands of years and which are still there, fortunately, menaced, but they're still there, of um, understanding um, the cosmos as completely, purely alive on, on every level and, and learning from them, actually. And um, there's, there's um, talking about this, there's, a, um, there's something um, which came into my mind a little bit before, and I... It's a good moment to, to quote this. It's a quote also by, by Martin Prechtel. I don't know if you know him. I don't. He, he, he's, he, is a, he lived for 20 years with a, with a, a Mayan people and became um, a shaman there. And it's, it's, uh, he, he has a lot of books. He's, I can also um, warmly recommend his work. I really love his work. And he says, again, asks asking um, answering the question of why on earth are there humans <laughs> aren't we aren't we just this this kind of sort of bad pandemic to the biosphere and um, and he says um, um, humans humans are there because the gods like the beauty we are able to create Oof. isn't isn't that nice and I mean, you know, like, like I like the, like, like, so he, he again points to that's to the other pole we are, we have been talking about, or which was in our, in our talk, namely love. Mm. So, so, so we are loved by the gods or by the spirits or by the spirit of the whole. Maybe we can also say this, um, because we, we, we are, we are so desperate at creating beauty and um, beauty is a form of um, shining aliveness, I'd say. And um, again, um, we, we, we are here. And, um, and I think it's, it's a very nice description. But then um, receiving this gift of being wanted because being able of creating beauty, then you need to give back a gift and you actually need to create beauty. <laughs> and now we are back at square one. Where, where we need to ask ourselves, okay, so how are we actually going to create beauty in a world that is filled of so much ugliness and forcing me to to somehow comply with this ugliness? So um, I'm 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 really looking um, at um, like in a much more concrete way at at, at ways to um, to 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 how, how to how could you call it? I'm, I'm, I said institutionalized, but that's maybe not really good, but to, to actively build culture, um, on these premises, that's, 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 that's totally fascinating to me at the moment. Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, of course it's existing in that complexity of two seemingly unrelated things and seemingly opposing things, which is organizing aliveness. 
Yeah. How does one organize yeah. aliveness both in your own life, but also at scale? How do cultures and cities and yeah. neighborhoods organize aliveness? And, you know, it is hard to find a word that isn't institutionalized or, you know, earlier I said, this is how things, this is how aliveness has been operationalized mm. for me, which mm. is an uncomfortable tension because mm. I don't like to say, to put yeah. operationalization yeah. and, you know, optimization and those sorts of things onto aliveness, yeah. but it is nonetheless true that we are constantly figuring out not only how to do it at an individual level, but also it makes yeah. sense that you're now looking at that culturally. And I love yeah. to, that's just such a beautiful, that's such a beautiful response. And I, it made me think, you know, again, using Robin Wall Kimmerer's framing, not only are we questioning, do I love life, but does life love me back? Mm -hmm. And if life mm -hmm. loves me back, what is my role within mm -hmm. that? And, mm -hmm. and creating more beauty sounds like mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. interesting pursuit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Is there anything else that you would want to make sure to mention before we wrap up <laughs> that I know that again, um, we could go on forever, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's no, I, I just, um, um, let me just tell you, I'm really grateful for this talk. Um, and it made me, um, think about things, um, which somehow were, floating around but needed to be thought upon and um, and i'm also grateful for for what you've been um, sharing and for what have been inspiring me to thank thanks a lot yeah Thank so um no i mean i as i had I didn't have any any plans of what i absolutely wanted to tell so i'm we we can we can stop now or we could stop later <laughs> yeah i mean it's any, of course i feel like whatever someone offers as what they want to talk about and you know your offering was love plus death and also yeah. why we yeah. need a different understanding of what it means to be alive and also wanted to mention animism and you know it's it's hard because i find myself in these conversations naturally because they connect to so many other things that we end up talking about stuff yeah. that seems like it might not be related to the topic that we're trying to narrow down into one tiny little idea but um, that I, yeah, I think that love and death and all of those things and including, you know, yeah. why we need, why we need a different understanding of what it means to be alive. That, that was just really real for me, I think, in talking about work in particular and what it means to like sort of live out what we do with our lives, you know, not just in our relationships, but a, a, yeah. a huge majority. Of I mean, I mean, just, then. just, 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 just just for spend, just in order to spend some more time and, and just, 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 just a little, if, if, if I have the time, do I have or the time? I'm, I'm here as long, listen, I'm here as long <laughs> yeah. as you want to talk. I just want to be yeah, respectful but, of your time. Yeah. No, no, but, but, and your day just started and my, my day, you right. probably, you can see that the changing light now it's, now it's, it's, I switched on the lamp like secretly before, no, but I wanted to say, I wanted to say just, just again, um, in, maybe um, if I didn't, I think I, I didn't insist on it in this way that we um, death needs love and love needs death. So we can't have one of them without the other. They, they're absolutely bound together at the, at the, at the umbilicals. And, um, and as you see, that's something which is our mainstream absolutely doesn't see and doesn't understand. And, um, and I, I think only by, bringing those together and our explorations tonight or this morning in your time zone have, have contributed a little bit to bring those together again, only by bringing those together again, I think we can continue to live in reality and to, to, to keep reality, uh, 
uh, a place which is which loves to give it's it's absolutely essential so so these seemingly um incompatible um polar um um, um opposites are, are are actually two sides of um of the creativity of life and um and i mean that's one of the reasons i'm i'm turning back to these older cultures because they absolutely knew this and they had their rituals for this and um and and they had a very non-sentimental way of of dealing with this because if you accept death um, as a, as a center of existence, you, you, you just need to stop being sentimental in the sense of secretly hoping that everything will be good because it can't, because there's death in the center, but, um, it doesn't mean that it's totally wickedly bad either. It, it can be very sweet, but transitory and, um, and I, I'd say it, it's like this. <laughs> That's, I say this also with a greeting from Italy, <laughs> where life is particularly sweet, but it's also very transitory. And it's um, so, so, so that's, that's, that's sort of the, the particular contribution from aliveness for, uh, to aliveness from, from this standpoint, but it's, it holds generally. And I really think that we, um, we need to, find ways to, to, to live this again, to, to incorporate this again. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still very much searching here. Yeah. There was another thing I wanted to add, but it's, it slipped. So maybe we'll come back to you. Yeah. I was say, you know, when I was going back and reading more of matter and desire again, I was going to joke to you that it would have been more efficient for me to underline the things I didn't find compelling than the things that I did, because almost the entire book is underlined. It's sort of ridiculous, but you yeah, know, it becomes, it also becomes confusing for yourself. Then. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's when everything yeah. is everything, there's no yeah. grounding point. Yeah. But it was just sort of amazing to me. I had forgotten really how much, like, I mean, because obviously it, it's probably obvious at this point, like aliveness was the, the concept I really, that really resonated with me coming out of reading it, but it was incredible to me to go back and realize how much you talk about love plus death. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yep. I, I was yep. like, I don't even know where to begin sort of quoting back to him, all the things that he says about these interconnections between love and death from relationships to, you know, biology and cellular level things and, and just how much that is the state of the world. So mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I could pick up your book and read a million quotes, but I think mostly I just want people to read it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, I think part of me also just wonders from a personal level, you know, if we're going to sort of combine the idea of operationalizing or making practical or institutional or whatever those things are, these, these sort of intangible things, how your, like, how is it that you practice love with like yourself, your relationships, your, I mean, even also like how you practice, I, I you know, part of what I wanted to answer. And I feel like I sort of shot myself in the foot by using that Wendell Berry quote at the beginning, which was about like how we don't want to define <laughs> how we don't want, he wants to get rid of the ideas of like a separation of spirit and matter and yeah, yeah. faith and metaphysics and all those things. But I still am so interested in knowing like how you define what that is. Like what is, what is the aliveness behind the world and how do you practically, 
how are you in practice of engaging with whatever that is? You know, is it prayer? Is it some mm-hmm. sort of faith tradition? Is it, mm. you know, just really your relationships? How does that live out mm. in your world? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, so that it, these are two questions actually. Mm. And, and they're both great. Yeah. Let, let me try to answer them. And then, then we, then we, then we stop and I'm, 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 I'm going to, yes. I'm going to, to, um, yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's, you, you could also have started by, by asking me this, it's right, but it's, it's, it's also a very, um, it's also a question you maybe you need some windows open before you ask it. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, that's it's, I, so I think it's, yeah. right. to wait till the end. Cause I think yeah. it's, it's a yeah. little hard to begin with a total stranger yeah. level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's more what, what a successful journalist would do starting, starting being very provocative and then see what comes. No, but let me, let me, let me just, let me say with, with the, the first, uh, let me try to answer the first question about again, about, I mean, it's, it's slightly re- re- resonating with what you were as, uh, asking before, I think um, about the, actually about the essence of this world we're, we're living in. I think it's, it's, is it, was it that? So did I get it right? So it's, it's, so it's actually very, the, the most profound spiritual question you, you can ask. And, um, and I'd say, um, we, we are, we are parts of a divine desire to give life. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's ultimate reality. And, um, and we can decide to help it or to break it, which will also break ourselves. Um, but it's, this is there, and this is also something which is indestructible. Um, how many bad things might arise and pass, but this divine self-realization by giving and i mean by giving life um that's nothing else than by it's it's practicing love that's that's what you do when you love Mm. that's when i when i said um love is not a feeling um it's not how you feel if something good happens to you but love is it's an activity when you are giving life to somebody which might be you um, or, um, or the whole, or, um, the community. Um, I th- and I mean, I think that's, um, that's actually what is, what is happening at the center of this cosmos. It's just this. And, um, as humans, we can see that this is happening and we can actively accept that this is what is needed to happen and participate in this. And um, Bernards can't really understand this, but they just do it <laughs> by flying around and having these dark blue wings with purple freckles on them. So, so it's um, we, we're part of, of of the divine desire to love, mm-hmm. and um, and that's. 
that's something which is bigger than death, <laughs> I'd say. Death is just a, a little transitory part in this. Yes. So that was part one of the question. Yeah, and, the, and part really quickly, because yes. yes. one of the quotes on love that I did track from Matter and Desire that I wanted to, to do in this conversation oh. was, uh, and you mentioned it, love is not a pleasant feeling, but the practical principle of creative enlivenment. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I mean, if, if this is, this is something, this is something which really changes things. It changes also your, your uncontrolled ecstasy. If, if you, if you check, um, if you check what you're doing in, in those moments against the, the, um, the need of giving life to, to you and to others. I mean, it's, that's it's again said that before this, there's, there's no, there's no hierarchy in this. So it's, it's, you're included, <laughs> but you, but also the others are included. And, um, so, and, and then coming and then trying to answer, um, okay, coming to your question about how, um, how I, I incorporate this into a, a sort of practice. Um, yeah, so that's actually easy as I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with other beings. So as I'm, as I'm, um, so my way is to, to go outside or to, it mustn't even, doesn't even need to be so much outside. It can be very close. It can also be the stone of the house on the other side of the street. So it's, um, it's, 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 it happens in, in very tiny, um, in, 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 on a tiny scale as well, but it's, it's my, my way of, um, prayer maybe is to be, mm. um, in, in the presence of, of being beings and, um, and, and throughout the years, I'd say they have become, all this has become rather transparent. So I'm, I'm kind of like always partly in this, um, state. Um, and, and it's something which when I'm, I'm, I'm doing workshops, um, it's, it's often we are living lives where we need to be, um, asked to open up to, to this, fertile living world all around us. Um, but then it, it normally it, it's, it's qu quite quickly there. So I'm, I'm basically doing this and then I'm also, and it's part of the same movement. I'm, I'm writing. So writing is, is the other half of my meditation or it's the other half of my prayer, if, if mm -hmm. you'd like. So I, I'd really say that, um, being in, in a flow of, um, of words finding me it's a, it's a it's a sort of meditative state so so that's my that's what i'm doing so it's it's actually very simple mm -hmm. um it's pretty simple i'd say um but and it's pretty um it's 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 somehow it's somehow part of my of my normal daily life so it's it's simple but it's also always there in a way right yeah. Yeah. Two, that made me think of two things. One is when I was in conversation with my friend Julianne yesterday and telling her, you know, I was having this conversation about aliveness and tensions and talking to you today. She, you know, I told her about matter and desire. I don't know when, but she ended up, she bought it 
which is, I can't tell you how many people I have either gifted or. You know, I'm, 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 I'm really, there was a moment when it was quite high on the, on, on the Amazon.com uh, that, that was probably when you were at the, at the top of recommending it. I was thinking, what I don't it, know. it was so funny. I, um, <laughs> I'm part of, uh, an online permaculture, you know, group of people who are considering the implications of permaculture for social movement. And, yeah. uh, we, we were all in this social, social permaculture design course, uh, I think four years ago. And it was funny. Someone asked what folks, what their favorite books were, uh, that spoke to some of these things. And before I even answered someone else that was in my social permaculture design course said, well, Brandy will already say it after me, but I'll beat her to it. But matter and desire, <laughs> is one of those things. uh, but anyway, Julianne and I were talking yesterday and, you know, she was saying, you know, she was remembering that she, she hadn't, she hasn't read, uh, read all of it, but she was remembering just how the experience of encountering like your beautiful language and the way that you write and the stuff that you were talking about that she then now living in Virginia goes to visit a river and mm -hmm. loved that idea of the practice of, you know, just hearing when you were talking about the sensuality of water over a rock mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. now that's just such a present idea for her that when she goes to visit in this ritual, you know, practice of, of encountering life and aliveness and a kind of pr a living prayer that that's, that's something that really resonates with her. And then I actually, I've started in the last several months to do a practice in the morning where I read certain things out, li out loud. And that to me is yeah. kind of a, 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 a way of doing prayer. And one of the things I say in the thing that I say every morning is something to the effect of let my work be an act of worship and let, let me build a cathedral of praise out of my words and my art that like, I want what I write and what I say to, to sort of be that active living prayer. And so I really resonate with the idea that, you know, writing mm. and speaking and those things are part of how you mm. are in a practice of sharing and chewing over and working with these ideas in your own life and then sharing those with yeah. others who then can do the same. And it's, it's what you say, what you just said, it's important to, to speak it out also. So it's important to, to, to get into relationship and, and to, to, to talk and to actively address and to actively thank. And I mean, again, that's what we find in, in Kimura's book It's it's, it's so much of this active communication. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a, there's a colleague, um, uh, who is, um, a member of the L Lakota nation. And he, he says, he uh, asked a somewhat similar question. He said, every morning, first, the first thing I do is to address water. And it, I mean, it's so extremely simple because the first thing or the, the second thing or the third thing we are going, we're doing is somehow pouring water, drinking water, pouring water for it, for the coffee maker, or whatever. So it's, if we're not in dire conditions, we run out of water, whatever, in, in some desert or, or under a heat dome in the, in the U.S. Midwest. Uh, I, sh I should ask for the temperature. <laughs> we were just joking about Italian temperatures, but it's probably hotter at your, at your side. No, but I mean, it's so simple. It's so simple, but it's so absolutely needed. And it's not only needed because it is focusing our attention. It is needed because it's needed for the water itself to be addressed. 
Mm. And that's, that's why I say it's, it's important to, to get into relationships and to, to, to actively um, relate. Absolutely. So it, it's, not, it's not only a good practice for oneself. It's needed for the world. That's what I would say. Mm. Yeah. Right. Part of enli enlivenment is attention. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're I, I mean, attention to water. Attention in the sense of, of really relating to somebody who is there. That's really important. Yeah, it's that sort of aspect of animism, also, right? That the, yeah, the, yeah. You see, that's 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 something I wouldn't have said when I just had finished the book. That's something I say right now. Mm. What your friend is doing, and in, in, she's doing something pretty. It sounded pretty animistic. It's it's really talking to the water, thanking the water, thanking the water spirit, even. So so mm -hmm. thanking on a way of communication we can we are able to do as humans, and. Um, it, it does something inside of the world, something unseen, but helpful. Mm -hmm. That I yeah. actually think it's that science is learning actually how to measure, interestingly enough. Probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. that it's needed, but, or, you know, not that that's the, that's yeah. the there's just one other way of seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, I mean, if they do it well, it can't be of damage. So it will just show that there's, I mean, good science should, should just acknowledge things it didn't know 10 years ago. So that's the way science should be. Unfortunately, um, scientists don't like their theories being turned over and they cling to them and schools of scientists and milieus. And so, 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 so science is not as it should, as it is designed to be actually. Mm -hmm. So it should be designed to, to accommodate anything which comes up and, right. and, and, and works, but it's, Unfortunately, it's not done like this. Um, okay. Well, I, I want to say back to you, you said earlier, you expressed your gratitude and it, it would be hard to overstate the amount of gratitude I have, not just for this conversation, but of course for your work. It, um, it was actually just a short anecdote to end a wild experience because I, you know, I'm just starting, uh, this is only the first of several conversations and I, I won't publish the podcast until probably about a month or so from now, mm -hmm. uh, when this will come out for the first time. And so I've been asking folks, you know, to come on and you were one of the few sort of larger authors that has really guided a lot. Charles Eisenstein is one of those. I'm hope hoping to be in conversation with him also soon, but you know, I reached out and it was interesting because I had all written you at different times, but I had this moment the day before you responded where um, I just had this complete physical experience of gratitude. I was just so overcome that like the universe might actually want me to do stuff that makes me feel more alive and excited in the world. Mm. And that, mm. that actually, it was actually possible that that could happen, that it, that maybe even it's inevitable. And I was so overcome by that, that I just broke into tears sort of on my floor and was just sort of like, you know, in a cheer state of like, thank you. And the next morning is when I got your email saying that you would come on. And, uh. <laughs> and, and I was just like that, this is how gratitude works and the mysterious nature of the universe. But yeah. it, it just makes so much sense. And I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful for what you do in the world and the conversations that you, 
you elicit and also for being someone who has, I'm sure, done both the hard internal work of holding these tensions in your life and contradictions and also fighting for a world that I think deeply needs to learn how to hold some of these contradictions, even if it's mm. just between the sciences and the arts or science and, you know, living experience and, and honoring different intelligences and ways of knowing in the world. So thank you for this chat and for all the writing that you share. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really happy. And that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very beautiful what you, what you tell this. So I'm, I'm really happy that it happened that way. Whew. All right. Deep breath. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I'm ever going to get over the fact that I got to have that conversation with Dr. Weber. So I hope it, I hope it meant anything near to you, what it meant to me and that you enjoyed that, that incredible conversation. You can find Andreas online at biologyofwonder.org and on Twitter at biopoetics. I'll link to the, uh, both of those in the show notes, along with everything else that we talked about at thisplusthat.com slash episodes. Thanks to the team, as always, at Upfire Digital for the audio processing. You can find them online at upfiredigital.com. All of my music is by the folks at slip.stream. You can find them online at that same address. I do these interviews from my home on the native land of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho people, but you can otherwise find me online at thisplusthat.com and thisplusthat, uh, thisplusthatpod across social media, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, I think are the big ones. Uh, more importantly, if you're a plus kind of person and you love this as much as I do, you can also sign up for my newsletter there. In it, I'm going to share things like behind the scenes takes extra tidbits from interviews like this. I write also. So in between podcasts, I write every other week about connections that I'm making to things in my own world out of my daily life. I'm also going to provide a bunch of links to idea mashing media and people that I've enjoyed recently. And I also, um, I'm going to take, uh, I just knocked on my desk. I'm also going to take, um, like guest recommendations. So if you know anyone else that's doing this kind of idea mashing stuff and you think I should talk to them in an interview, sign up for my newsletter. And that's where you can reply to me and tell me about those people. And I will actually respond to you. I want to hear all of your best ideas. So yeah, sign up for that at thisplusthat.com and rate this show. If you love it, rate it with five stars if you would, and share it with other people that you know, and make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And yeah, I, I'm so glad that you're here. I want to continue having these incredible connected conversations with people who are doing this work at the intersection of stuff that is just so fascinating and poetic and lovely and I don't know, interesting and all the things. So thanks for being here. I hope you enjoyed this episode until next, uh, until next time. This has been this plus that. I'm Brandy. Have a good one.